0: Our Canadians headed home with a bronze medal from the FIBA World Cup, the best ever finish at the World Cup, clinching an Olympic berth next year in Paris. Lots to celebrate around this team and their ceiling, which continues to rise. And... We've been excited to be a part of this story the last couple weeks and someone that's been there uh, for a very, very long time helping build Canada up to this point is joining us next. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Michael Bartlett, Canadian basketball CEO. Congratulations on an incredible run at the FIBA World Cup and welcome back. I know it's been a a little bit of a journey to get back home, but uh, we're glad to have you on the radio and congrats on the success.
1: Yes, thank you, and, and good morning, Ailish and Jesse. Yeah, it was fun uh, coming through customs last night to say, if there was anything to declare?" I said, "Yeah, one precious metal." Oh
0: amazing! Yeah, was there? <laughs> That's was there? So like, good. I don't know what time you landed at, but sometimes there's a little welcoming committee. Uh, did anything special happen at the airport with uh, with uh-huh. the mouse?
1: Uh, yeah, I know a, a lot of the guys came through on different flights, so there was a uh, good contingent for them. I uh, I came through solo, jumped in a car, and headed straight home to Stratford. And it was great to see the family last night. <laughs>
2: Well uh congratulations again. Just an amazing performance by the the men's team uh over in Indonesia and then Philippines like when the final buzzer sounded uh what were the emotions that were, were not going not the one through?
0: to push it
2: o t well, we can get your thoughts on that one too, but when the the game was officially over, and you knew that Canada had won the bronze over a rival like the united states uh, what was what was going through your mind
1: um i'll I'll actually say it was, it was just pure joy. And because of the way that overtime went, we almost had kind of a 30 to 40 second head start of realizing like, Oh my goodness, like Mm -hmm. this is happening. So being able to collect um, with the support staff that were all kind of following out of the locker room and, you know, sharing hugs and and enjoy with each other. it, It was actually very different than the game against Spain, which was tense right until the last minute and or the last second in fact and the flood of relief that came from that one that that one was very emotional because we had punched our ticket to the olympics that really was our stated goal from uh, day one we did not ever and do not ever want to play in a last minute qualifying uh, tournament canada deserves better Our, our program deserves better so then counter that to the bronze game it was just pure elation and joy and you know, squashing the giant of the U.S. in the process. It uh, it just adds another moment for Canada, another moment for the program, and we were just thrilled.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to beat the Americans, especially now that they all want to bring their superstars over. I think you started yeah, that, nice, and, eh? and uh, the, nice. the Avengers maybe on. headed to Paris. Um, but that moment you celebrate, you mentioned it, you kind of got the first monkey off the back um, earlier in the tournament, beating Spain and clinching. How much of, of a relief almost, or how much of a clear head did the guys have for the rest of the tournament, knowing that one goal had been accomplished, and they really only had one left, and that was to at least medal and at least get there on the podium?
1: Yeah, I think you know it sunk in for all of them uh, that uh, part one and and the one that we talked about from the beginning. You know, I think back to a meeting that we had in Las Vegas uh, with the players shortly after the crushing defeat against the Czechs um, in Victoria, when we reset the table and, and created this core strategy. Uh, at that time, we talked a lot about the path to Paris and, and what we have to do to qualify and you know, we've been talking about it ever since that day about what qualifying for Paris need to look like. But it was actually in that meeting that Melvin Ajim said, you know, while we're at it, you know, I, I agree we should qualify for Paris, but we should just go win a World Cup medal too. So, you know, it the guys are wired differently. Um, they're they're very focused. In fact, after that that game against Spain you know, there was no celebration, no party. We were all relieved. We go back into the team room afterwards, and they're just all playing Mario Kart, um, getting ready for the flight to Manila <laughs> the next day, right? So they were they were just like, okay, check, done, moving on. And, and they were very focused throughout the entire tournament, and they were so excited uh, to get a chance to to play the U.S., um, some of their teammates, some of their rivals in the league, and then to get that monkey off our back, too, with a big win against that program. It was just uh, everything these guys had hoped for
2: and they're not the only canadian team to have success uh in the basketball program as part of canada basketball like the the five on five teams so you tweeted competed for a medal in nine of ten tournaments since october uh, 2022 so in your role with canada basketball like how best do you capitalize on the success that canada basketball is currently undergoing and with all the eyeballs that were on this tournament like what's the best way that you guys can capitalize on that
1: well, we've got, we've got a great opportunity to unify the country through this sport. Um, you know, I was with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment for a decade before joining Canada Basketball, and I saw firsthand uh, what the Raptors Championship did for the country. Uh, we've tried to take that baton. The Raptors and, and MLSC are great supporters of Canada Basketball, and we're, we're trying to kind of take that baton and torch from them um, to unify Canada through winning. And, and we know we've got a real shot when we go into Paris. Our men's and our women's five-on-five team, and you know most expectedly our, our women's three x three team will all compete for medals. Uh, we got a great note from David Schumacher at the COC saying how excited he is um, to have basketball be a lead story for Canada mm-hmm. in Paris. Um, I think, you know, I think back to just a young person growing up myself, uh, what the Olympics meant to me, how it shut down my household for two weeks every time that Canada took to the stage somewhere. And, you know, basketball was never a focal point of that story. Uh, I remember being on the living room floor when Ben Johnson won and being on the living room floor the next day when they took the medal away. Like, I remember those moments. Uh, I remember where I was when Sid scored the goal, when the women won soccer gold. There's so many Olympic moments that are iconic for the country. And when we think about, what basketball can be for the country in this Olympics and then coming up in LA 28, this is just the beginning. And, you know, brands certainly that want to jump on board with us. It's my job certainly to, to make sure that we have brands that partner with us so that we can invest back in basketball and in the winning and in the growth of the game. Um, this is a great time to get on board because we've got a real shot to uh, to unify the country and do something on the world stage.
0: Yeah, Canada basketball is no longer just a, a fun story, right? There's more expectations now. There's a Olympic gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal on the table. There's continuing to raise the ceiling. And I wonder for you with this Olympic berth, with the FIBA World Cup uh, medal and with some of the, biggest names in basketball going to be on your team like Shea Gilgis Alexander has really (laughs) you know he's been someone we followed, but I think he's a global name now hopefully Jamal Murray is a global name that people will recognize and and more and more and of course Dylan Brooks but I wonder for you how this changes expectations how you continue goal setting to not just show up but to to medal and to continue to grow this program specifically next year at the Paris Olympics
1: well you know you use the word change Ailish it doesn't actually change the expectation at all for last 24 months our ambition and expectation has been just this uh, to be a podium team each and every time we compete internationally and that's our men's our women's our 3x3 all the age group teams that's what we expect of ourselves so the expectations don't change i think maybe canada more of canada wakes up to the fact that we have this expectation of ourselves and they should share in that expectation of us ultimately the promise that we're making to our athletes too is when they compete on the global stage for Canada. It's an opportunity for us and them to make them household names across the world. And I think, you know, that promise was kept for Shea and Dylan and and Lou and so many others. And, And now head coach Jordy Fernandez, like these are names that because of their investment in time in Canada basketball, these are now names that are known across the world, and, and quite frankly probably names that are known more to Canadians too, and, and that's a promise that we make to our athletes, that we want to give them brag-worthy experiences, but then also give them brand-building opportunity too.
2: Yeah, we've heard so much about uh, culture, 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 and when we had Rowan Barrett on, that was, that was one of the things that he really focused on, and I mean, it's no disrespect to the players who, who tried time and time again to have this level of success playing for Canada in these international tournaments but obviously this is a, a high watermark in the last almost a hundred years so when did the culture shift when did that begin and how did you guys go about trying to change the culture with this team
1: well I think you know we talk about ambition and the board uh, of Canada basketball is filled of uh, individuals and business leaders from across Canada that many of them entrepreneurial many of them um, see what basketball can be for this country and they've given the organization permission to maybe act a little bigger than we are before we're even that size and invest a little more than we have before we even have it and you know ultimately winning is going to churn more opportunity for us to uh, realize some of those financial gains and commercial opportunities so that we can invest back into the program but it was kind of like the board took the handcuffs off of the organization and said, this is our time. We know this is the time now. We cannot be an organization that waits for the winning in order to spend like we're winning. So we have invested significantly uh, more in our men's and women's and 3x3 programs over the course of the last few years, but we've invested it in the areas that are culture defining and competitive advantage defining. So that can be the length of training camp, uh, the conditions of training camps, um, you know, the, just think of the scrimmage games that we had before this Olympic run, playing against Germany and Spain. You know, before we we you know compete against the best, we're com- you know practicing against the best. And these are all things that are culture defining because our athletes uh, see this as an investment in their time. It's not just us asking them to put time into us; it's us investing in that uh, opportunity for them too. And Whether it be our our women who who finished fourth in the World Cup, our men who now have bronze, those athletes also go back into their professional season after those runs, having had um, a great physical and personal and, and psychological experience. So they end up having a better season as a result of it, too, and that's part of the value prop that we're delivering as well.
0: Talking to Canadian basketball CEO, uh, Michael Bartlett. So we had R- Rowan Barrett uh, on, as Jesse mentioned, last week. And he said, this was right after clinching uh, the Olympic berth, that he was already getting calls uh, for sponsors, already getting <laughs> scheduling for this next couple of uh, months in terms of games. So what happens now? Like, What do you guys focus on? Obviously, the on-court performance, but as you mentioned, trying to get this team ready for Paris. Is there scheduling? Is there uh, big meetings that have to happen uh, before? You know, it's, it's already around the corner, it feels like. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, certainly and and that's actually part of the benefit of being on the ground with the team for the last uh, number of weeks. Um we now have a bit of a you know a blessing of choice at this point. Um we have had so many invitations um brought forward to us by other teams around the world that want to train and prep with us Mm -hmm. for exhibition games. So now it's now a matter of us deciding what we want our prep to look like. Uh, We're having the same conversations with our women's program. We anticipate that they will qualify uh, out of the OQT in February. So we're trying to match those schedules, uh, you know, ultimately looking to do some really fun stuff with some games domestically and then flying over to Europe and playing some high-quality prep games over in Europe too. So it's, you know, it's a planning process that we hope to have done no later than February. Once we know the women have punched their ticket and, and have all those dominoes lined up, but it is a benefit of choice. Now we don't really have to make too many calls. People are calling us. We're seeing it on the sponsor side. We're seeing it on the, the preparatory uh, competition side. And I'll say, it was it was really fun the response that we got from, you know, my counterparts presidents of other federations from around the world, how excited they were for Canada basketball to achieve this because they see it as good for the global game as well. Uh, whether it be, you know, a, a tough loss by France, I'd, you know, their, their team president couldn't have been more gracious and excited for what this meant for our program. They've had their time. They know they'll have their time again. And, and they knew that, um, you know, that loss to Canada, although, you know was a tough one for them was good for the global game and and again same with our friends in spain and and even our friends uh, at the united states they are very gracious along the way and i think there's great opportunity for us to have some pre-paris prep games with with each of those nations either home or away
2: this team had a, a lot of nba commitments but there were some nba players that uh, decided to pass whether it's for rest purposes or whatever that may be uh now having Seen this team work through the grind of accomplishing what they accomplished. How are you guys going to navigate if there are players that took a pass on this tournament, but maybe want to be a part of the Olympic run, because I would imagine that could lead to some difficult decisions that, that may have to be made.
1: Yeah, certainly. Jesse, you know, we, when we created the core strategy, the, the definition of core and being on the core wasn't handcuffed to necessarily playing in a window or in a competition. We recognize that certain, you know, you know body injuries rest you know contracts sometimes can can get in the way but it's being part of the environment the culture the learning process and training camp which was really definitive on whether or not you were committed to the core so an athlete like jamal murray cory joseph kevin pangos o'shea brissette like they were all in our training camps through our windows and, and while couldn't answer the call necessarily for this competition they're still considered part of the core so ultimately you know coach Jordy and rowan um will have some difficult decisions to make. Uh, those decisions will be based on our competitive outlook and you know what we need to look like in order to be the best at the Olympics but certainly the athletes that are in our core consideration our core 16 continue to be the ones um, that we're focused on Uh, we know there will be others that are interested and that's great you know this is again uh, a program that has wanted people interested for a long time so we're not (laughs) we're not um, discouraged by that Um, but ultimately you know those that have made the commitment to us we believe very much in a two-way promise Uh, they've made they promises to us, and and we've got to keep those promises to them. So there will certainly be some tough decisions, but I'll say this: this group of twelve, um, they formed a team really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became uh, brothers through experience, um, a shared experience together. And the most fun I had um, in the entire tournament was watching them, uh, the twelve of them, in the locker room together, just celebrate each other. And, and in fact, I don't know. I think Kelly referenced it. In the post-game interview, um, the game goes to overtime off that dagger three uh, from from Mikhail Bridges. Was it Bridges? Yeah, I'm, I'm still blanking. <laughs> and um, and in the huddle, uh, one of the players says, "Guys, how lucky are we to have five more minutes to be on the court together?" Wow. um what a what a great response and as soon as i heard that somebody texted me they're like oh my god that was gutting i'm like no we got this i have no doubt that we have this uh because as soon as i heard the team say that to each other i knew that this was something special that's think, amazing
0: yeah i love that yeah. I, I, we've heard a lot i think the fiba um, broadcast helped us get a little bit closer to the team as well they put the mic uh, put the mic <laughs> yeah. right in there and we heard Fair a point. lot from jordy fernandez and i mm-hmm. think the decision to to move on um with him initially with nick nurse moving off um i We talked to Rowan Barrett. He said it was an almost immediate, like, okay, let's get this guy in conversations. We really want to see what he can do. And it it aged great. (laughs) Clearly, the first couple months or or even two months that he's had to build a team, to get this team together and create a culture that was already, you know, partially instilled. uh, Seemingly, he was the right man for the job. I I wonder what you make of Jordy's opportunity at the FIBA World Cup, how he became part of our conversation as somebody that motivated this team so quickly and, and seemed really well respected by the players already
1: yeah he's um god he's one of us for sure like if if you could i think he changes yeah he he's a proud spaniard but uh, he could hold the the culture of a canadian passport in his back pocket pretty easily he's uh, he's canadian through and through in the way that he approaches life um you know i think ultimately he he understands athletes he understands the need of of how to communicate and get the most out of athletes how to be honest with them but then also how to nurture them he deflects often and calls shay you know the greatest connector in the locker room jordy's an amazing connector and whether that be with the front line staff who's doing the laundry to, you know, Rowan, to myself, to, you know, the star athlete, to, you know, Trey Bell Haynes is going to play, you know, two, three minutes a game. Uh, he knows how to connect with everybody. He was very, very, very focused on uh, preparing this team to be their best. Um, he's, he's kind of a no-ego amigo as well. Didn't really want to be in the limelight. But I think Canada should be very proud of, of their adopted son and Jordy. Uh, I know actually – happy accident uh, the Raptors are hosting Sacramento Kings out at Vancouver for an NBA preseason game Jordy's going to get the loudest applause <laughs> in the entire building I think yeah. uh he's certainly one of us and uh, you know proud to get to know him and become a friend of his over the last six weeks as well
0: uh last one for you Michael this morning appreciate your time especially on the jet lag uh Dylan Brooks definitely a, a story that I think has won over a lot of Canadian hearts uh his uh, maybe narrative shift the way that he put this team um on his back plays with a lot of pride plays with a lot of energy and grit uh dylan brooks maybe even the reason that lebron james and co want to come to the paris olympics next year Uh, i think he put them on uh, on notice a little bit and and they're going to get their team together but uh the story of dylan brooks i think we don't get the full perspective we're not there on the ground we're not you know sharing this story with him as close as you are but him as a person him as a player like it feels like we uh, we got a good one and we should be really proud that he plays for canada and not any other team
1: yeah, we certainly should, and, you know, there's a few instances. I'll say, like, the Philippines basketball culture loves the L.A. Lakers, like there's more Lakers jerseys than any other jersey uh, outside of L.A. that I've ever seen, and um, they would routinely boo him. You know, the minute that he got the ball, the minute he was introduced, mm-hmm. hearing them cheer MVP for him That's at the crazy. end of the game was so amazing. Um, yeah, here's here's the take on on Dylan and what the rest of the world didn't get a chance to see. First guy out of the locker room, so that he can stand in the tunnel and do his personal, you know, high five with mm-hmm. every guy as they come out to get ready. Uh, leads the team out uh, onto the uh, court. You know the first guy to be rallying the team and talking in the huddle, and you know setting some defensive you know tidbits and, and suggestions for guys. Like he's just all team, and uh, the organizations and people that pour their positive energy into him. He gives it right back 200%. He was also the one, I think he had the most friends and family there. He, mm. he was so proud of, of getting this opportunity and had friends come, um, you know, to Jakarta and then also out to Manila, Uh, So it was just wonderful to see how he bled um, and and wore the the Canadian flag on his sleeve, uh, his heart on his sleeve throughout the entire tournament. And I think Canada's got one to fall in love with for decades.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see how he follows it up at the Paris Olympics. Um, It's been a really wonderful story being able to cover Canada's run at the FIBA World Cup. Congratulations again. Yeah, keep that bronze medal in sight because hopefully you can add another one uh, next year to the podium um, in Paris. Thanks so much for coming on and congrats once again, Michael.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
0: That's Michael Bartlett, Canada Basketball CEO. That was excellent. And our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where we can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com.
2: You can tell why he's the CEO. <laughs> There's some very eloquent and uh, tell why well-stated well stated answers. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that was awesome. We're making
2: jiu bets in our <laughs> spare time.
0: Um, really great insight about the players that might not be currently um, involved in the process, but maybe looking forward for Paris Olympics. I think that will be a lot of conversations about how they build this roster. But you have a lot of faces that we know will be there and will be a part of this... Moving forward, Canada's a young team, so that should be inspiring a lot of confidence for fans. Paris Olympics just around the corner, as we mentioned. LeBron James uh, deciding that he's going to spearhead a bunch of American stars to come play at the Paris Olympics. That's the Dylan Brooks effect. He wants to go toe to toe with Canada's. Had to villain. try and steal the headlines, eh? Yeah, yeah.
2: Couldn't let Canada we'll bask see, we'll in the globe next for like year, three right? days. We'll see it next year. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not concerned yet. I, I do think for Canada, like you just you got to take the best players available, especially now considering the U.S. is going to send that loaded team and mm-hmm. you would think other other countries' teams are going to reload as best they can because Canada is clearly a threat now. And if Jamal Murray wants to play, which I believe he does by all accounts, then he has to be there. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is probably going to be the big one if he decides he wants to play. did not say Andrew Wiggins he was
0: mentioning names. He might have just missed it, but...
2: But Ben Matherin should probably Mm -hmm. be there. And I I do feel like there's, despite all the blood, sweat, and tears that this roster has put in to get them to where they need to go, you do have, I think, uh, an obligation to the program as a whole to try and put the best result forward. And the best way to do that is have the best players. Two things,
0: two things I really liked from that conversation. One was the idea that Canada now has another whole team, a story to follow at the Paris Olympics. Like, I love swimming, and I love track, and sometimes I feel like that's all we really get from Canada at the Olympics, or at least coverage-wise, right? We know those stories of some of our incredible swimmers and incredible track athletes, but I know there's a lot of other Canadians that, that participate, but now you have Canada basketball being one of the the, the lead stories. Like they qualified after they haven't for twenty something years. They're coming in with global superstar names. I think it's going to be great for casual Canadian Olympic fans to have another entire storyline to follow and an exciting fresh one. And he mentioned not just this Canadian basketball team, but some of the other versions of of Canada basketball being um, ready to go at Paris Olympics. And then secondly, the fact that now they can pick and choose. They are they're getting op- options from other teams and other countries that want to train with Canada. Like, Canada earned that opportunity to say, actually, we want to play a friendly with you. We want to train with you. You have some of the best uh, caliber facilities and coaching that we want to partner with. And I think that that is such a blessing that Canada earned. Like, they they were probably not the team that people wanted to pair up with or learn from for the last 20 years. And now they've come onto this global stage and they are in the driver's seat, so to say. So they can prepare themselves the best for the Paris Olympics couldn't have said the same, you know, previously when they weren't a top tier opponent in the world. So not just winning in a medal, that means something. It's all the things that go in behind the scenes, more fandom, more opportunities to train. And, you know, we're going to hear in the next couple of years, maybe two years, maybe one year, that basketball signups have grown in Canada, right? You see them at the at the Olympics. You saw them at the mm-hmm. FIBA World Cup. And I know time was kind of... Not at uh, the easiest for East Coast viewers, but if you you have a kid that 's going to watch the Paris Olympics, wow, I want to play basketball like it 's so easy to see that trickle effect like I see it in women talking all the time. If you can see it, you can be it. I think we 're going to see a lot more participation, I really hope so because uh, this is a, a really important moment for Canada and our country, and i 'm looking forward to seeing what they do at the paris olympics
2: for sure, very well said and And the first thing that I would do if I was Michael Bartlett as CEO is invite latvia, Slovenia, Germany all the hot shooting teams Mm -hmm. into the Raptors practice facility to use use the shooting machine and just completely disrupt everything (laughs) that they had working for them. Maybe make sure they use it two weeks before the Olympics next year so that they can uh, get cold. And and just don't let Dylan Brooks give them any top secrets about it.
0: One free suggestion I would also have for Canada basketball is sell jerseys make them accessible, make the gear, the merch nicer and more accessible because I want to see us repping sweet Dylan Brooks jerseys come next year. It's hard to find anything in Canada basketball. So, boom, get the merch pumping because, A, you make money, but, B, you grow the fan base. Hopefully
2: Michael's still listening.
0: I'm sure he's listening. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's shift one last time to the Blue Jays. Caitlin McGrath will join us, reporter at The Athletic. Uh, 10-4 loss to kick off what is the most important series of the season. We said it before. Uh, But good thing is they got another opportunity tonight with Hanjun Ryu on the mound. A lot of people are feeling good about Hanjun Ryu as of late. They got some anchor picks in for Awaken Rake as well. Uh, So we'll go through all that with Caitlin as the Blue Jays are just half a game up on Texas now for that wild card spot. Uh, Things can change real quick. So how do the Blue Jace stop the slide. And as John Schneider said last night, flush this one. Caitlin joins us after the break on the Fan Morning Show with Jesse and Eilish.
2: Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: If you're looking for a turnaround, it's a Tuesday night, Looney Dogs, which should have double the attendance of last night and a new opportunity for the Blue Jays to turn this around with Hyunjin Ryu on the mound. Let's bring in Kaitlin McGrath. Blue Jays reporter at the Athletics coming on uh, to chat about last night's disappointment. But like, let's flip the script, Kaitlin. We've had a little negativity <laughs> this morning. The uh, Bills, the Jets, the Jays. What can we find to be positive about this morning, Kaitlin?
3: I mean, maybe it's the Looney Dogs. Yeah.
0: Really <laughs> I mean, I just love a good Looney Dog. Kayla knows her audience. It brings good fans. Oh, no, yeah. Here's the spin it brings a lot of fans tonight, which they're going to need, as Kevin Kiermaier, like pleaded for, and we didn't see last night. And maybe that just inspires a little bit of, of yeah, oomph or a little bit of extra mustard in their play tonight.
3: Yeah, maybe. I mean, The Crossing <laughs> was weird yesterday. Like, I don't fully understand it. I think people are trying to come up for reasons on Twitter, like Monday night football. It was mm. like I don't really buy that. Like <laughs> I don't think there's that many people needing to stay home and watch the Bills. Um so I don't know, maybe it was just a weird Monday mm-hmm. thing. People are still like settling into uh their routines, their back to school routines mm-hmm. or something. But yeah, like hopefully the crowd picks up, maybe uh for the rest of the games, Wednesday, Thursday especially
2: just I I think Blue Jays fans after watching last night's game uh it was a close one until the seventh inning obviously but I think there are some things that they just need to clean up and it's more of a a trend that we've seen this season when we really weren't supposed to see that like this was supposed to be the attention to detail year that was everything that they were talking about in spring training but yet last night I mean you don't want to harp on it too much but Chris Bassett You can't do that. But the third disengagement leads to a run. And then Kevin Kiermaier, who happens to be probably the Blue Jays' best base runner, but a very aggressive send. And that sort of sucked all the life that was in the building last night out of it and killed the momentum for the Blue Jays. But it just felt like uh, another sloppy effort from the Blue Jays when they just cannot afford to have those kind of efforts at this point of the season.
3: Yeah, it's like the Chris Bassett play was really weird because I thought that the Blue Jays... um, in the early innings, actually looked really sharp defensively, you know, his weird play notwithstanding. Like, I thought the defense, like, really came to play. They made some really nice double plays. Cabin Biggio stands out, but even the um, double play, uh, the 3 or three six one double play. Yeah, that play. was crazy. Um, what a play. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, I thought, like, the defense looked really good, and that's, to me like a really good indicator like oh the team's really engaged like they're looking really good and that's something that they have an edge on a lot of other teams like their defense is really good but yeah that um you know the Kiermaier not scoring on that play it's interesting because I think it did really suck the momentum out of like the crowd in the moment I don't know that like baseball players like feel that as much like I think that they were my sense was that they were okay with Sen because it's like well, you're, you've are got Kiermeyer who's like one of your best base runners or one of the best base runners, generally speaking, in baseball, and then you're kind of testing like a rookie's arm, right? It's like that guy's like first week in the major. So, um, I, you know, I, I can see like both arguments where I can see like, you know what, you had Bo coming up, no one was out. You could have had a guy on first and third just, hold it and like, let's build, like let's build this. You should rely on Bo or Vlad being able to drive in that run. At the same time, I can see how you think like, well, it's Kiermaier to rookie in left field. Like let's test that arm. And it really didn't work out for them.
2: I feel like it's part. That's the macros. Or the micro, I feel like a macro perspective, like that has been sort of the issue with the team this year. Like, for a team that is in a playoff spot, one thing that's blown me away from the fan base's perspective is just how negative everybody's been. Like, yeah. their record is not bad, but if you go look at the message boards or you get the vibe of the team Don't on Twitter, the message boards, I'm just saying, Jesse. it's all part of research. <laughs> but, but it's like just there's a prevailing thought that this team is just not good enough yet they have the best pitching in baseball and potentially one of the better bullpens in baseball. Why do you think that there is this belief out there that they just won't be able to get it done?
3: Yeah, I know you mean. I uh, steer clear of the comment section (laughs) more than I usually do this year. Um, You know, I, I have thought about this a lot. I wrote about it a little bit. I, you know, I think there's several reasons, and it's just kind of my own sort of theories, I guess. But one, I, I don't know that, like, pitching, great pitching, excites people the way that, like, great mm-hmm. offense does. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably, like, just going back to sort of the history of the Blue Jays, if you will. The sense is, like, the Blue Jays have always actually been more of an offensive team um, this era definitely been more offensive you think back to like 2021 when they had basically the best offense in baseball again last year as well one of the best offenses and then you think back to like 2015 team um where they just hit really really well and you know it's just been a thing very much lately where people get really excited about an offense and you can kind of rely on Toronto to have a good offense and it's not been like that this year. And so I think that is driving sort of the disappointment and some focal figures in that. You 're know, Glad probably leads in the way in terms of not having the season people wanted from him. But you could kind of go down the list, excluding a few guys. I think you exclude like Bo from that conversation. He's been great. I think Kiermeyer has been really great. I think there's a lot of guys in the lineup have, who have done, um, you know, well. Kevin Beejee was having a good year offensively. Um, but I think that you talk about like some of the main guys and they're not giving you what you expected to get. And that feels like a drag because it's like, well, if you have like Kikuchi pitching seven scoreless innings, but they lose one nothing, like no one's getting that excited mm-hmm. about that Kikuchi outing, right? Like I think, and that's happened several times this year, not necessarily losing one nothing, but just like having a great pitching performance, you know. Kevin Godson's happened a number of times where they just don't score for him and then you're kind of feeling like a wasted pitching performance so I think that's a big thing I'd also add that their performance just generally speaking against their own division I feel like really sucked the air out of this team because it felt so early on like the division was out of reach like you couldn't win a game against Boston in the first half you were really getting smoked by the Orioles you did sort of spine against the Yankees and the Rays but overall your record against your own division was so bad and that was a very frustrating thing that I think that all the hope of winning the division felt kind of lost early on and I think that's also led to disappointment because no one's getting excited about it being in a wild card spot. Maybe because the like pain of last year's wild card game mm-hmm. is still there too.
0: Well, the good thing is, Caitlin, they have five straight series against uh, AL East teams to wrap this up, so uh, looking uh, looking ahead to that, they can rewrite that narrative. Um, you're talking about good offensive teams, which is fun to cheer for. For Well, the Texas Rangers are one of the best offensive teams in baseball. I know they race out to that hot start, and they were at the big league of the AL West, and then they certainly fell off for some reason, but they didn't look like the, the terrible team that we had been hoping that the Blue Jays could pounce on as of late. I mean, they dropped 16 in their last 23, but now they've one three straight uh they are an offensive uh force we saw that last night um maybe do we underestimate the rangers a little bit in terms of what they can show and they're in the same position as the blue jays fighting for a wild card spot those can be dangerous teams to play against
3: yeah i think with the, the rangers you really don't want them to get any sort of momentum here because they're they are a good team they're a really good lineup and The recipe for their success has been being able to really outscore other teams. And then their biggest weakness, which is their bullpen, doesn't really flare up very much because they have a big enough lead. So obviously that's what happened yesterday. And it felt like, yeah, if the Blue Jays kept it close, I think all bets were off in the late innings because I do think the Blue Jays, in theory, had the edge over their bullpen. Didn't work out yesterday. You know, the Blue Jays' bullpen gave up the grand slam and really put that game out of reach so you go back at it today but yeah i think that the issue with the rangers um in this low for them hasn't totally i mean obviously they haven't been scoring as much they've come down to earth i think their numbers with running and scoring position haven't been as good but they were really like off the charts great in the first half i think there's some kind of luck and bad at all. Uh, luck that has not really gone their way quite as much um, as it was in the first half but like in the first half a lot more balls were just like dropping for them whereas now they've kind of regressed back to the the mean or the average but that just means that they're not plating quite enough runs that can cover up for their bullpen which really really has been a huge reason for their downfall lately just not being able to keep leads and hold leads and all that. So, you know, I think the Blue Jays still have a good chance to come back in this series because they should be able to keep it close. Um, You know, you hope that their pitching can keep it close. And then, you know, I do think in the late innings they should have the advantage in theory over the Rangers bullpen.
2: We'll see if they can get to to Max Scherzer tonight against Hinjin Ryu. And uh, we spoke to David Murphy earlier in the show about Scherzer, so I want to talk a little bit about Ryu. And I got to put my hand up, Caitlin. I did not expect this version of Hinjin Ryu this season coming back from Tommy John. In fact, I was surprised when people were just sort of penciling him in and saying, okay, it's okay if Manoa goes down to the minors or doesn't recover in any way because they have Hinjin Ryu coming in. I was like, well guys 36 years of age and coming off Tommy John like what can you really expect and lo and behold he's allowed 10 runs all season since he came back on August the 1st like he has a 265 ERA 106 whip the guy has been that good for this team just what kind of a boon has that been for this Blue Jays team uh who certainly needs every good start that it can get
3: yeah you know I'm with you I was uh the same way I was pretty skeptical that it was going to work out. Uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, I realized at some point this season that he was going to come back because he was totally on track and stuff. But I remember a time where it was really up in the air, whether he'd pitch again for the blue Jays, because you never know how long it takes to get back from Tommy John, especially at his age, especially being the second Tommy John that he's Mm -hmm. undergone in his life time. So it has been probably close to, if not the best case scenario for the Blue Jays when it comes to Ryu, how effective he's been. You know, the Blue Jays are using him fairly carefully. He's really only gone five innings um, in most of his starts. I think they're not really pushing him too much. Although don't I think if he was really, really rolling, maybe you go six with him, but I wouldn't see him being pushed any further than that. Um, five seems to be where they're really comfortable with him going, and it's really worked out. He looked great. He looked very vintage for It's It's nice to see, honestly. I think it's nice for him to have this Um, to close out at least this contract with kind of looking like his old self again and looking like the guy that the Blue Jays, you know, brought in to turn the page on the franchise essentially and, and move them from a rebuilding team to a contending team. And he did that. And he's a big reason why they have been contending the last number of years. Um, And he really was kind of the first domino to fall in that regard And, yeah, I think that it's been nice to see. It's just nice to, like, see a guy succeeding. And the rotation has really had his performance to thank because, like you said, you know, Manoa, there was a lot going on there, not getting the performance you want from him. And I think the Blue Jays, we saw their starting pitching depth really tested earlier in the year when they sent Manoa down uh, in June. And, you know, you, you're using basically Trevor Richards as a starter, even though he's one of your better relievers at the time. And so that was not going to be a good situation if Ryu wasn't able to perform. So yeah, Blue Jays definitely lucked out, but you know, they also put their faith in a guy that is deserved it. You know, he's had a great career and he's just come back and continued it.
0: Charlie with Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Um, you mentioned Manoa. I actually wanted to ask you about that because uh, yesterday our sports fan, Ben Nicholson-Smith um, and Ben Wagner were talking a little bit about some updates on Alec Manoa and saying that there was maybe a performance-related demotion that really upset him and that uh, he decided not to report. I-, I just wonder if you have any more in- information or any indications that you've learned uh, from being around the ballpark or talking to others about – you know, either the current status with Alec Benoit or maybe something we didn't uh, know too in depth over the last month about what's been up with him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've just kind of been hearing the same things that um, your guys have reported and talked about. And, you know, it's it's a strange situation, I guess I would say. It's not something that you hear about often. It's not something you see. It's definitely surprising. I mean, I think I would just um, say that it's, been you know it's really unfortunate just in terms of Manoa kind of losing this year essentially or you know he did make 19 starts I think in the major leagues and he you know some of those were not what we were expecting some of them were okay some of them were good some of them looked like you know he was making progress uh, especially after he came back there was a handful of starts where it looked like okay make this guy's making some improvements and You know, at the time, like when he got sent down the second time, it it really did feel like a a roster crunch situation that happens fairly often. I mean, it just happened this week where you talk about Jay Jackson, who has been a really great reliever for the Blue Jays as well, but Eric Swanson comes back, and he's one of their guys, and you like what you've gotten from Bowden Francis lately because he gives you some length, and then you can use other guys differently. And so these roster crunch situations do happen. And, you know, at the time, like we were just talking about, where you kind of deserved a shot and was pitching really well. And it just, it seemed to be, for me, like fairly straightforward in terms of, you know, what a team would do in that moment. If you're just talking about, let's remove the names from it and just look at the ERAs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the time it just kind of made sense. It was like, well, Kikuchi was pitching really well and, and Gosman and Bassett are kind of your guys and Barrios was pitching really well. And it would just like felt like the the decision that had to be made and I think that you know it's unfortunate that it maybe unfolded the way that it did because I think there was probably a scenario where maybe not necessarily Manoa gets back into the rotation without an injury I think it probably did need an injury but you know if, if something had happened to the Blue Jays rotation let's just say you know comebacker hit Kikuchi in the leg or not that I want to <laughs> hypothetically nah. injure one of these guys. But, just <laughs> you know, anything can happen in baseball, and we've seen it, right? Like, we've seen freak plays like that. And that would have put the Blue Jays in a really bad situation because Manoa really wasn't ready to step in. And so that didn't happen. But I think that would have been a really unfortunate situation. I mean, I guess in theory it still could, but he wouldn't. He's obviously not in the mix anymore. It would be someone else. But, yeah, I think that this is going to be a really interesting offseason i think to dive into what is next for these two players or two parties i should say
0: a hundred percent an important offseason uh for both the organization and for alec wino and hopefully they work in tandem on making that a happy one um caitlin appreciate you coming on today let's hope for a better result for the blue jays tonight or at least more Looney dogs sold than ever before <laughs> i will definitely chat with you soon and thanks for coming on
3: yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: That's Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic. And we have a lot of hype for the wake and rake today, although we blew it this week, so we should Well, take... last night was not our yeah, fault. Yeah, well, I mean, t- yesterday was just a fiasco. So let's uh, let's make today better.
1: Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could
0: be raking
2: in the dough with your kind of
1: accuracy. Show me the money!
0: With Ailish and Justin. Okay, we have a submission from Justin Cuthbert, who is Come currently, on. currently delayed on the Madrid tarmac in his airplane it says astros run line just uh just sending in across the globe
2: astros run line yeah that's verlander against jp sears who was incredible against the blue jays obviously who hasn't been incredible against the blue jays at some point uh okay so yeah i mean that's uh,
0: Let's keep reading. See, I just wanted to make sure he got his in. Minus 140. From yeah. um, okay, so Eric, the Eric from Burlington likes Cubs run line tonight and maybe even com, Cubs winning by at least two uh, because using the line by Sam McKee, the Rockies have a stinky poo-poo pitching staff.
2: Mm, it's Flex He had a pretty good start against the Jays too.
0: Okay, morning, Jesse and Ailish. <laughs> Hope you're doing well on a rainy Tuesday. Um, Chris is taking his dad to the game. Have fun. Uh, Ryu over three and a half strikeouts. We also have Corey from Port Hope saying Ryu over three and a half strikeouts. Mm. We have Big E Eric in Burlington liking Braves on the run line, the Red Sox-Yankees under, and the Mets-Diamondbacks over. Dan from Peterborough, choo-choo all aboard the Biggio train. Choo-choo. Excuse
1: yes. me, that was just the Wayne train.
0: Yes, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I miss Stewie. Choo-choo all aboard the Biggio train uh, for a hit. Has stayed close to the same last time we bet him seven hits in the last nine games. TJ and Stovall has Scherzer over strikeouts well we can't bet that. Um and then our uh, our beloved first family of the Fan Morning Show is back. Uh, Ron and Jules, he you have to be there. Jules apparently can drive herself to school now, so it's the first time he's driving her. Wow. That that makes my heart hurt. <laughs> They're growing up. She'll take Boba Shed over bases and he'll take Aaron Judge to hit a home run in game 1. There's two games in, in the Yankees Red Sox today. Gary from Atobico likes Boston and the range, uh, Boston, and the Yankees over in both of the games. That's a lot of submissions. I'll tell you mine, which will be over in the Cardinals and Orioles. Uh, that game will have two, uh, a pitcher that has never pitched, John Beans, and Adam Wainwright, who has an 819 ERA. And there's two good offenses there with the Orioles and the Cardinals. So I'm going to pick that. It's over 10 and a half. What are you doing?
2: I'm going with, uh, the San Diego Padres money line over the Dodgers. And you might be thinking, well, the Dodgers are really good. Why would you do that? It's because Lance Lynn is on the mound. And they acquired him from the Chicago White Sox. And in four starts uh, since the deadline, he was electric. And then he has proceeded to go three earned runs on 10 hits, seven earned runs, eight earned runs. And that reverts back to his time with the White Sox when he allowed eight runs on April the 6th, eight runs on May the 31st. Uh, seven runs on May the 10th. You get the picture. He's having a horrendous year, and the last two starts continued that trend. That's why I like the Padres to win on the money line against okay. the Dodgers. That's
0: a bold one, and Thank it's plus know. money. Um, I'm going to make the executive's decision because Ron and Jules are always, always big supporters of the show. They took the summer off. Jules is now driving yourself to work, uh, to school, which makes me emotional. I think we should do Boba Shed over bases. Um, it's a good pick from Jules. But I also feel bad about Justin's Astros run line, so we could even add a fourth one. How about you just go with what your heart desires? Because um, Justin will be back soon, and I don't want his flight to be delayed. So
2: It's good do- karma to include it, I think.
0: Okay, well, let's just get spicy. You'll only live once. Um, okay, <laughs> so he liked Astros. Was it on the run line? Yeah, that's I'll right. load that up in there. And yeah, we have... Okay, so we've got over in the Cardinals and Baltimore Orioles. We've got Padres money line. We've got Bobashev over bases for our girl Jules, and then we're gonna add in, if you'd like to, Justin's pick, which is Astros on the run line over Oakland, and that's plus fourteen fifty six. Go big or go home, folks.
2: I like it personally. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm riding.
0: Okay, well, thanks for everyone. Uh, great day, great Tuesday. Enjoy the game tonight. Go Jays, go. Go Looney Dogs, go. Back <laughs> tomorrow morning, Jesse and Eilish.
2: Can't wait.